0: You are listening to To the Top Talk with Jamie Arrington. Thank you, Jamie. And Jason Bailey. Bump
1: is uh, pretty good.
0: But the reality is they don't know, man! I've been looking forward to To the Top Talk. You know, I have that with myself every night. Strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Juice, baby. What's going on? What's happening? How you guys doing? Welcome to To the Top Talk with Jamie Arrington and Jason Bailey. I am your host Jamie Arrington and Jason Bailey will be joining us in just a bit. We are here with your break from all of the High Resource 5 propaganda in the mainstream sports media to talk about the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles to the top. Alright, so we got a lot to get to today. We are less than two weeks away from the first game back at the Rock September 1st, taking on the Jackson State Tigers. Can't wait. Yesterday was Adelius Thomas's birthday. Happy birthday, Adelius. And I've got a great guest today. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Real quick, comedy news. Next Sunday night or this Sunday night, depending on what time you're listening, that's going to be August the 26th at the Thirsty Hippo, 7 p.m., Martha Kelly. If you watch Baskets on FX, you know who Martha is. You love her. See her in person in the Hub City. This Sunday night, Sunday, August the 26th, 7 p.m. Tickets are $10. You can get them online at HattiesburgLiveMusic.com. Also, homecoming weekend. I've kind of hinted this the past couple of weeks. I'm going to be able to announce it on next week's show. Should be making an announcement on social media middle of this week. Have a huge show lined up, homecoming weekend, Friday night, October 19th, the ninth before homecoming. You're going to be on, want to be on the lookout for this, especially my younger crowd, my younger listeners. This is a comedian that a lot of you know. Um, I can't say what it is because we're, that, that T's aren't crossed and the I's aren't dotted, but I'll give you a hint. There's a show, Millennials Love It on Comedy Central. There's two gals that are leads in the show. This comedian is on that particular show, not one of the two leads. That's all I'm going to tell you. You do the math. It's going to be a great time. All right. Anyways, let's get to this week's guest. All right. So I've been really curious about talking to this guy. He is, is the new Southern Miss beat writer for the Hattiesburg American. He's uh, a younger guy, but he's been, he's got a lot of experience already. And to tell you the truth, I didn't know what to think when he took the job. But once I started reading his articles, I'm kind of impressed. As are most of the Southern Miss fans I've talked to. I think he's going to do a great job for us. Uh, during his tenure here in Hattiesburg. So please welcome my guest today, Nick Suss. All right, so is it pronounced Suss or Seuss? Suss. I was hoping for Seuss. I was hoping that you could like maybe write all of your articles in some kind of rhyme and then just blow it from there. But Suss makes more sense.
1: You really don't want to wish that because I will do it, and I have done it, and people hate me.
0: <laughs> well, uh, on behalf of all the Southern Miss fans, man, I, I think everybody's been really impressed with what you've done thus far. It's, you 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 bring a, a, a different style, but it's a really, really good style, and I think everybody's enjoyed your articles.
1: I appreciate hearing that. Thank you. Well,
0: what has the adjustment been like coming to Hattiesburg? That's not the biggest
1: adjustment in the world. I've lived in the South my entire life, so I kind of believe the South is the South, even though I might argue that Hattiesburg might be a little bit outside the South and in the Gulf region, which might be a completely different thing. But, I I mean, I lived in Baton Rouge the last couple of years. Uh, I'm used to this Gulf mentality. It's laid back. It's kind of centralized. I've been joking with people that I've seen all of Hattiesburg because I've driven on both sides of Hardy Street, but it's (laughs) It's, it's been pretty good. I, I mean it's only been two two and a half weeks I've been here and I have no complaints, which is which means a lot coming from somebody as neurotic as myself. So yeah, I'm waiting for something to become a complaint, but right now I'm just adjusting and living and doing my best to not not get pulled over for stuff.
0: You, you, you mentioned you've lived in the South, but you kind of have an accent like you are not from the South. Where are you from?
1: I'm originally from outside of Atlanta.
0: Okay, well, that's still the South. I
1: spent about 16, 17 years of my life living in Georgia, a couple of years in North Carolina, and then I've been all around Louisiana, Mississippi the last couple of years. My parents are from New York City, which is why I kind of have no accent. Uh, I can turn on either accent if you want me to go northern or southern, whichever one feels more comfortable for you. I, I've kind of lived my entire life with, Everybody from the North thinks I have a really thick Southern accent, and everybody from the South thinks I have a really thick Northern accent, and I just kind of deal with it and uh, and speak in this weird manner that I have seemed to deem as acceptable as a human being.
0: What motivated you to get into the realm of journalism?
1: Well, I I was always way too big of a sports fan. Growing up, didn't really have much else in my life until probably the 8th or ninth grade. I was just... I mean, the story goes, my parents took me out of the hospital 18 hours after I was born so I could be home for one o'clock kickoff the next Sunday. I, I, I've i been around sports my entire life. Um, when I was in fifth grade, uh, my teachers pushed me to do the morning announcements for sports, and I turned it into a big game and just pretty much did a comedy routine and also said some sports scores in between them. And uh, I kind of got the bug then. And then when I was, I guess, a freshman in high school, I started writing these long blog post sort of things on my fantasy football and baseball league message boards for an audience of eight people. There were like eight people that could read these because they were private fantasy leagues. But I would post them and I'd be like, hey, a new blog post is out. Go read them. And they would give me enough positive feedback that I would write a bonus one every week that I would perform live before school for again, an audience of 10 or 11 people. And I just got so into performing these columns and writing these columns that I figured, Hey, if I can turn that into what I do for a living. It's a pretty chill gig. So I kind of decided it's better than working. So might as well watch sports and get paid for it.
0: Absolutely. Well, you've built quite the resume thus far. Who are some of the teams and the uh, organizations you've covered?
1: Uh, In college, I covered the University of Georgia, which is where I attended. Uh, I did a couple of internships with Major League Baseball, where I covered the Phillies and the Yankees. And then the last couple of years, I was uh, covering LSU down in Baton Rouge for a now-defunct website that has three letters in it that people in Hattiesburg don't like me saying. (laughs) So I will just leave it there. Um, and yeah, so now I am, I am in Hattiesburg.
0: Yeah, what was that like when you when you get the job here? And and you know, there's a little animosity in the region on how certain teams are covered other than others. And and I did notice you got a little feedback, especially on Twitter.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. I grew up in an NFL household. I, I grew up thinking college football was the Secondary course, maybe a tertiary course, because I was actually a bigger high school fan. So I've been covering college sports for six years now or whatever it's been. And I get it. But I still think it's really funny when people have divisional and conference allegiances. Like, oh, man, I'm a big Conference USA West fan. It just it just makes me giggle. So I didn't think of it as animosity. I'm like, oh, that's just something that I can't relate to. I have never been a conference fan, or I've never disliked a conference. I've never been like, oh, man, the NFC, I can't stand that. Uh, it's just such a different mentality. So I appreciate the passion that you have here for people who are anti-SEC or anti-Power 5 or feel this gripe because it's realistic. These are teams in the same league that are just completely afterthoughts to to get more attention or more television contracts or more revenue through boosters, whichever way you want to see it. I think it's a completely justified gripe, but for people to be calling me out because I used to work for sec country, uh, which was not affiliated with the league at all. It was just the name of a website. I I thought (laughs) it was really funny I've had this one guy who's been tweeting at me at least twice a week since I got here to change my pinned tweet, which I didn't even remember Twitter had a pinned tweet function. I I eventually did when I wrote a story about Jack Abraham because I liked it. But yeah, it's the the animosity here is very fun, very enjoyable, and uh, I'm going to have fun with this if people want to keep saying things because I've always got to come back.
0: Well, yeah, and, but I think everybody can appreciate your attitude. I mean, you know, I've, I haven't, I've wanted to do a joke about how like sports teams and in a correlation with uh, self esteem and, and, and being in South Mississippi, you know, I was at Walmart a couple of years ago. I saw somebody literally exchanging their LSU hat for an Alabama hat at Walmart. So it's like, <laughs> You get this situation where you have people that just, who's ever hot, that's who they roll with. So there are a lot of, of Southeastern Conference fans in the area because, you know, the two teams in state have never really won anything. So they just kind of, who's ever hot, who's ever playing, they just kind of roll with that and it feeds the ego. You'll have, you know, auto mechanics talking trash to brain surgeons just off of the t-shirt they've got on. It, it's, it's quite hilarious.
1: Yeah, I mean, by the same token, I was living in Louisiana last year. I still have Georgia license plates because I never got them switched over. And this was right around the time of the national championship game. And people were just coming up to me saying, gosh, you guys got to beat Bama, just assuming because of the plates that I was a hardcore Georgia fan. Because that's the Southern mentality. College football is everything. And you kind of get locked into this idea of college football is the SEC and the Big Ten, and then everything else is just kind of pretending. And then you go around the country and you see every, con- every city, every state, every region has their own program. And whether it's something as big as an Ohio State or Michigan or Georgia or Alabama, one of these like premier programs, or if it's something really regional or really local, which you'll find even more passionate people who have been passed down generation after generation, that's kind of the appeal of college football because you have pro sports, which are so very national in their reputation where people are playing fantasy sports and people are watching every game on a national tv deal and things like this where you don't have that same entrenched history with the team maybe you do with baseball because baseball is a completely different animal but speaking specifically with football you don't have that in the pros there would never be a team like southern miss in the nfl where it's this underdog passed down mentality That's something whole unique to the lower levels or the non-Power 5 levels of college football, and it's really
0: fun to see. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little Southern Miss. We had a very interesting Saturday last week. You know, you get to campus, first thing you find out, Quadra Griggs, the senior quarterback, is indefinitely suspended. So what have your impressions been like of this Southern Miss team, sans Quadra Griggs? I think that this
1: is a team that is going to find a way to run the offense at once, regardless of which of its four or five options at quarterback are in there. I've interviewed Shannon Dawson about this at length, and he said he's not going to change the offense depending on the quarterback. He's just going to let the quarterback dictate what it is. So whether it was Quadre Griggs or Jack Abraham, or if it goes to Marcel Rodriguez or to Tate Watley, they're going to run the same offense. They're just going to let those guys' strengths kind of peek out. So I think under Jack Abraham, what I've seen and what we're going to see is this is going to be a little bit more of maybe some West Coast flair. You'll see some swing passes, some short passes. I know Shannon Dawson loves screens, so you're going to see a lot of those screen passes. But I think you're also going to see kind of an air raid style offense, the thing that Dawson came to to power under when he was at West Virginia, that Dana Holgerson, Mike Leach style offense. I think you're going to see a lot of those principles because Jack Abraham is a freewheeling guy. He was a 12,000 yard passer and three years as a starter at Oxford high. He's that kind of guy who likes to dish it out, throw it across the field to all places. And I think that the offense, because they have so much speed at receiver, especially from Jalen Adams and Quez Watkins who have both looked really good this spring I think we're going to see maybe more of what Southern Miss fans saw with the Nick Mullins era than we did last year with Quadre and Keon kind of being the double threat uh, run pass option kind of quarterbacks. We might see more of a drop back and sling it kind of offense, which I know that's historically what Southern Miss fans are used to. So maybe this would be more comfortable. But obviously, when you have three quarterbacks who have combined to take zero division one snaps, you get a little concerned.
0: And the article you wrote uh, was excellent on Jack Abraham. That they, Thank you. I wasn't aware of a lot of those things and the, the story that he had. knew a little bit of it, but uh, what were your impressions talking to Jack? Jack's a quarterback. I mean, anytime you talk to a
1: quarterback, you recognize, oh, he's a quarterback. He knows what he's saying. He's very cerebral. He's very intelligent. He's a good kid. He's fam- got a good family, got a good supporting cast it took a while for him to open up and kind of tell me about that past and tell me about all of the things that were kind of stacked against him. And I know it's silly to say that the world was stacked against a kid who got a division one offer, got multiple division one offers at of high school. He, he's obviously worked his way to be where he belongs, but there's this stigma against undersized quarterbacks. And I think we all know it. I think we all recognize it that, Anytime you have an option between a Peyton Manning or a Drew Brees, everybody's going to take Peyton Manning because he has that size. He has that prototypical ability and arm strength, and he looks the part. But sometimes the most important thing about playing quarterback is having that preternatural ability to see things that other people haven't seen yet. And that's what Abraham's going to have to rely on. And what it's, it's what he's always relied on. And the one thing I didn't get to put in the article that I really wanted to was there's a story his dad told me about the, uh, I believe it was the North Half Championship game his sophomore year. He's a sophomore. He's playing against a team with, I think, four Division One players on it, including Breland Speaks, was on the opposing team. Uh, who later went on to Ole Miss. I'm sure some of you guys remember Breeland Speaks. Uh, and there was a second and eight, second and ten, somewhere thereabouts, and Breeland comes off the blind side untouched and just crushes Jack. Uh, ball falls out, uh, trickles back about ten yards. Uh, Jack's team falls on it, so they got a third and 20, and Jack had just been crushed by one of the most productive pass rushers in modern SEC history. Next play, Jack comes up, fires a dig route over the middle for 22 yards to continue the drive on a third and 20. And when I asked his dad, he said that was the most impressive thing or the most memorable thing he ever saw his son do in high school, which is get back up after he's been crushed. Maybe he doesn't have the size. Maybe he doesn't have the strength to overcome some of these guys and to bounce off hits like a Ben Roethlisberger. But he got back up and he stood in the pocket the next play, and he kept the drive going. And that's the kind of quarterback that you're going to get from Jack Abraham and maybe the kind of thing that Southern Miss needs to kind of cover up some of the losses the team had last year from uh, from a talent perspective that you're losing so much.
0: I know it's been tough to really gauge given the injuries and uh, the times where they've held out certain players during certain practices, but what are your impressions of this running back squad we've got right now. With Ito being gone, I know he's going to be a lot to replace, but it seems like we've got several different running backs with several different skill sets that we haven't had in the past.
1: It makes me think of that that scene in Moneyball, uh, the book or the movie, if you've read or seen either, where they're talking about how you don't have to replace Jason Giambi. You have to replace Jason Giambi's production. And I think that's what they have to do with Edo Smith. You're not going to have one guy who can do everything that Edo Smith does because he was the most, if not the most, one of the most productive running backs in the school's history. What you need to do is find three guys who can do what he did and use them well. And I think that's what, Southern Miss has on this roster which is a very deep group of running backs who all do things very differently you look at the three seniors at the top Tez Parks is your modern running back he can catch balls out of the backfield he can move inside and outside the holes he's kind of your third down back your versatile jackknife kind of guy you have T-Rod Daniels who is your speed demon your get him out in space kind of guy the Let's get him into the open field and see how far he can go. And then you have George Payne, who, if he can stay healthy, is your bruiser up the middle type of guy. And if you if you mesh all three of those together and they can all stay healthy, I think you have a a modicum of ability to replace what you know Smith was able to do last year. Then you look at some of the younger guys, some of the less experienced guys on this roster. You look at Trevinsky Mosley, the true freshman, who's been getting a lot of starting reps this week because of injury. I think he has a really brozy quality out of the backfield just this shifty little guy who can also pack some thunder up the middle if Darius Mayberry can get healthy he is very electric I've seen him make a couple of cuts that you can tell he's not fully trusting his knee yet but you know the explosiveness is there and then Steven Anderson's like Derek Henry sized he is a massive human being if you can get him running with a full head of steam that's that's a pretty powerful option so You look at those six running backs, and I'm probably leaving some guys out because there are so many bodies in this running back room. But I think they're going to have enough when it comes to different style of guys that it's going to be really hard for defenses to prepare for what this rushing attack can be.
0: Nick, I'm not blowing smoke, man, but how did you prep up for this job? Did you, When you knew you were getting this job, did you just watch Southern Miss tape? Did you just read Southern Miss articles? You've got a lot of knowledge for somebody that's only been here a few weeks. I don't know.
1: I read some stuff. I haven't watched any tape from last year yet. No, but I I read some stuff. I've talked to some people. Uh, I I do my diligence, but I'm also, uh, I'm really good at making it sound like I know more than I do. (laughs) So uh, trust me when I say uh, I, I know what I'm saying, but I'm also not going to remember any of the words I said five minutes from now. So what I've been seeing at practice, this is a lot of just observation. I, I sit out there for two and a half hours, six days a week watching him practice. You, you learn a little bit at that point, but yeah, I talked to Munz about what the job was going to entail. I, I, I read everything that he had written and that some of the other reporters had written uh, over the last two, three months or so to kind of be caught up, but a lot of it is just football kind of comes easy to me. It's a, it's a sport I grew up playing, I grew up watching, and I grew up obsessing over and doodling plays in my notebooks and whatnot. So, yeah, I can understand the principles pretty quickly.
0: You mentioned talking to Jason Munns, and he's a guy that a lot of Southern Miss fans had a lot of respect for. I really thought he did an excellent job covering the team, being fair, being honest, being objective. What what did he have to say to you before you took the job?
1: I mean, I mostly just asked him what to do. I, I He didn't give me – too much fair warning that you guys wouldn't have already expected the whole, these are passionate fans, they, they love their coverage, they, th- that sort of thing. I, it's, it's exactly what you'd expect. I asked him about the nitty gritty and I don't want to bore your listeners with procedural questions that I asked about what to do and where to go. But yeah, he, he gave me some good advice and I got some good advice from, from some other people who are familiar with the program, including one former starting quarterback who reached out to me, uh, to give me some advice about Hattiesburg. So thanks to him. Um, yeah, it, Jason, Jason was very helpful and he still is. I, I I talk to him probably once or twice a week just for stories and stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm very glad that this community embraced Jason as wholesale as it did. And I'm hoping that you can be slightly more annoyed by me, but not that much more. Just, just a little bit more annoyed because I'm, I'm a bit pestery sometimes, but in a good way, I hope.
0: Did he tell you about He said – I'm sure he said this. I'm sure he said, all right, after the first game, be sure you ask Shannon Dawson if he's going to use the tight end more. I'm sure that's something he brought up.
1: That wasn't something that Jason has brought up, but that's something that at least five people have brought up to me. So I, I'm very familiar with Shannon's relationship with tight ends. Um, so I've, I've heard that story, yes. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, it, maybe Jay Sean will have eight catches for 110 yards against Jackson State, and uh, we'll all we'll all forget about that history.
0: Well, I believe they've been they've been putting him at wide out some. I think or, or in the slot a little bit more than than at tight end, if I'm not mistaken. But
1: yeah, they've been splitting him out. He's been one of the many many people exiled over with the injury group for for the last week or so. So it's been hard to see what he is, but I think he's he's all straightened out now, and I think he's back in there.
0: Moving on to the offensive line, you've got a, a very, very young group, but a group that has a lot of potential. What have you noticed as far as the progression of this offensive line in the fall camp?
1: I I think the biggest difference you'll find between USM and A lot of other programs that maybe USM aspires to be is the depth on the offensive and defensive lines because it's just so hard to recruit quality linemen too deep. So I think the starting offensive line right now looks good. I still think there's a little bit of a way to go when it comes to getting these guys in shape. I don't know if they're 100% at playing shape as these coaches would want yet. But I like the starting five. I think they're a big group, a strong group, a capable group, an experienced group with the exception of the true freshman at center, Trace Clopton, who has looked pretty good. Uh, There are some people who think he has all conference future ahead of him. I, I think it's hard to say that with having only seen one scrimmage in our belts, but I think that they're going to have a strong offensive line. I really like what I've seen from these tackles, Alshus and Dorbeck, I think Arvin Fletcher's looked pretty good. Ty Pollard maybe has a step forward he needs to make, but I think he's been pretty consistent at guard and then obviously clapped in the middle. It's, it's hard for a true freshman to be your starting center, but he seems to have handled it pretty well, and, and there's a lot of responsibility on him, but I expect him to be poised beyond his age for the responsibility he has.
0: Moving on to the defense, this front seven might be uh, the deepest we've had in quite some time.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of bodies at linebacker. The the defensive line is thin, uh, just because of the defensive team's runs, where you're usually only going to have two true defensive linemen down on any given snap. Uh, you you don't have that many bodies there on the interior, some quality bodies, but but maybe not the best rotation of them. But then you look at what you make up for that at, at linebacker, where You have Raheem Booth and Sherrod Ruff and Jeremy Sangster and Paxton Schrimscher and Tyree Evans and Walden Davis and so many really good options at linebacker. That's not even mentioning Darian Yancey, who is kind of a linebacker, kind of an edge rusher at this point. Uh, A lot of really good bodies, a lot of rotational. I think this is going to be the best unit on the field. I think the linebackers are going to be Southern Miss's deepest and strongest position group. I've been really impressed by all of these guys so far. <laughs> Excuse me. I I think that uh, Tyree Evans coming out of Juco has looked really good. I, I think he's going to have to learn the plays a little bit better and become a little bit more polished and developed. But from a raw ability and effort perspective, nobody tries harder than him on this field. I think Sherrod Ruff looks healthy after missing a good chunk of last year. I think he's back. Sangster, you can tell he's an extra coach on the field. He's he's the cerebral guy, and everybody knows what Raheem Booth and Paxton trimshaw can do. So I, I was surprised that none of these guys garnered any preseason all-conference interest, especially Booth coming off of a freshman All-America season. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talent in that linebacking room. The only question is going to be, How are you going to use them and how are you going to rotate them across? And that's a good problem to have if you're if you're Derek Nicholson and Tim Billings.
0: We knew going into the season that we were going to lose a lot of experience in the secondary. We've got a a lot of young guys, some guys still trying to figure things out. How are the uh, guys in the secondary progressing?
1: I think that the secondary is going to be a really interesting thing, and I think it's the first two weeks are going to be a really good test for the secondary because of the types of offenses they're going to play. Obviously, Hal Mum's air raid at Jackson State is going to put a stress on any secondary group, so that's going to be fun to see. And then ULM runs a very high-paced offense as well. So we're going to know more about this secondary come September 8th than maybe we do now. But I like what I've seen from ty williams the juco transfer i think he's going to be the number one corner i like what i've seen from kyle hemby another juco juco transfer i think he's going to be a body at safety i think picasso nelson kind of stabilizes this group with his experience and his ability to play in the nickel and maybe bump outside the corner maybe drop back to safety a little bit if they need him tyler barnes has looked pretty good out there i think he's a little banged up right now with a lower body injury to not get in trouble with specifics, but I, the, the problem with the secondary is just going to be the experience. And you hit the nail on the head, man. It's they don't have too much experience returning. They lost so much last year. And a lot of those guys are competing for NFL playing time right now. So there's, there's a lot to replace And you have guys like Curry Ben, the true freshman from down in new Orleans, who's competing for time and then you have Xavier Marion, who's very experienced, but maybe hasn't gotten the starting time you would want from him. There, there's all sorts of different reasons that guys are new. Um, and we're just going to see which mix and match of groups can stand out. And, and I'm really looking forward to that test against the Hal offense.
0: Are there any players out there right now that are kind of flying under the radar as far as buzz goes, but you think Southern Miss fans might should keep an eye on?
1: Um, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, let's let's just say keep an eye on Neil McLaurin, the wide receiver. Um, again, I don't, want to, I don't want to spoil any surprises, but I think we're going to see him used in a lot of fun ways. Uh, he's a very athletic receiver, uh, very strong, very long, uh, former high school quarterback. He was all over the field on Juco. He, he's got speed. He's got strength. I, I think that when it's all said and done, he's probably going to be. In this rotation of receivers, I think Jalen Adams and Quez Watkins have that job on lockdown. But as the top two, um, but I, I'm interested to see how they use McLaurin in this offense because he can do so many things well.
0: I guess we got to talk about special teams. We haven't gotten there yet, but pretty much everybody's coming back. There's, I don't think there's really any new faces, uh, particularly at the key positions. Maybe at the returner positions. What are your thoughts on this uh, Southern the Southern Miss special teams right now?
1: They'll be fine. They'll be good. Like, I, I have no problem with what I've seen, but usually the specialists go off and do their own thing elsewhere. So I don't get to watch them kick very frequently. Uh, I think the return game is up in the air. There's a lot of different guys they could use at kick and punt returner. Maybe that's a place where you get Trevinsky Mosley involved, um, Just test him out to see how he can do with the ball in his hand. Maybe to Michael Harris, you your speedy junior. Um, there are a couple of different ways you can go about running these return games. Um, but then, yeah, you're right. Kicking and punting is going to be pretty much what it was last year. Parker Schonfield is going to be pretty darn consistent. I'm pretty sure Tyler Flathow has been getting a lot of the reps at Punter, but they have a couple of different guys. And again, I don't get to watch the punters as firsthand as I do the offense and defense. But. Yeah, I think special teams is going to be good. I think it's going to be pretty consistent. You always have questions about how a team runs its special teams because it's kind of an afterthought a lot of the times. You don't hear about it very much. You don't think about it very much, but it comes down to a sixth of your actual production. So let's see what this team can do, and I think a lot of that will be decided tonight in the team's second scrimmage of the the fall.
0: You've interviewed uh, Coach Hopson several times. Have you started to pick up on some of the Hop-isms that he's so famous for?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I've been told more of them than I've actually heard. I think people are much more, with every coach, they're going to have three or four things that they say a lot, and everyone's going to go, ah, I heard it, I heard it, he said it, I heard it, I heard it. Um, but if nobody had pointed them out, them out to me, I wouldn't have recognized them. He's, again, I just came back from two years of covering at Ogeron. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Jay says is normal and fine and completely reasonable. Um, I, I've noticed a few of them, but if somebody didn't tell me, dude, he says reality a lot, I wouldn't have noticed. He said it maybe three times since I've been here, four times. Like, I know you guys tweeted about it at fanfare. I heard him say it once or twice at fanfare people say things. If you've heard how many times I've said the word, but or whatnot during this, if you want to go back and count, gosh, I I say these words so many times. I repeat myself so many times. I feel for coaches. I once covered a guy who used the same five word phrase 19 times in 15 minutes. It's coaches talk a lot and they don't like doing it. And they really dislike what I do for a living. So I, I give them leeway to be redundant.
0: You mentioned what you're doing, and there's been a lot of changes, particularly in print media the past few years. How are you adjusting to this, and, and how do you see this medium evolving?
1: Well, I'm pretty young, and I got into this while it was dying. So maybe I'm maybe I'm a sadist. I don't know, but – I've, I've worked for digital media. Uh, that's, that's my background. My, my internships were with MLB.com. My first two years of employment were with SECCountry.com. They were purely digital outlets that did not put out print products. Now I am back in a newspaper mold, which is what I did while I was in college. I worked for a student newspaper. I was the editor in chief of a student newspaper. I've, I've seen production sides and I've also seen purely online sides. And I don't think there's a right answer. I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think people want to read about their teams. I think video is great. I think podcasting is great, but it takes 45 minutes to listen to a 45 minute podcast. I wrote a 1300 word story about Jack Abraham. You can read that in two minutes. Uh, People, it's faster to read. So I do think that there's always going to be a market for reading. and And I look at the clicks that I've gotten since I've gotten here, and that supports it. There are a lot of people who really do like to read about this team, even if it is one of the smaller market teams in Division One. Where I think this industry is going, I'm not the doom and gloom kind of person. I don't think clickbait is that bad. I also don't think paywalls are that bad. I think whatever you got to do to make money, do it. Like, If we really are a capitalist society, which Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. Who knows what exists anymore? I don't want to get into uh, nihilism and whatnot. But gosh, journalism is weird. If it was up to me, I'd write seven stories a day. But obviously, that's not good business. I also don't think it's good business to write three stories a week behind a paywall. People are going to consume media the way they want to. And I don't want to get pretentious about this, but My goal is to do what the most people want. And if that means practice reports every day, I'll do practice reports every day. If that means magazine style features once a week, I'll try to do one a week. If that means uh, write 12 stories on a Saturday after a game and then write nothing for four days, maybe that's what I do. But I think people will always dictate trends more than trends will dictate people. So as long as there are people who are interested in reading about Southern myths, I'm going to write about it.
0: We appreciate you coming on the show, Nick. Do you have any final words for Southern Miss fans and any final thoughts on this upcoming season?
1: Oh gosh, I'm sure I'll talk to you a hundred more times before the season's over. So I don't want to blow everything out of proportion day one, but yeah, I'm i I'm happy to talk about the nitty gritty. I'm happy to be here and give you position updates like that. But if y'all ever want to get loose and just make jokes about it, I know this is a, pretty loose podcast so just let me know and i'm willing to uh be game
0: that was nick suss with the hattiesburg american joining now southern miss black ops tailgate legend jason bailey greetings and salutations i am uh, fresh off a two-year-old birthday party good times good times <laughs> Uh, so, obviously, if you just listen to the interview with Nick, uh, we recorded that yesterday before the scrimmage. The scrimmage actually took place last night. This is scrimmage number two. A few ins and outs from the scrimmage. It it seems like, from all accounts, that the defense on the night, uh, the defense was all over the place. The offense struggled. Hopefully they can get it together in the next couple of weeks. You know, starting with the quarterback position, Jack Abraham, 13 for 29. With three touchdowns, one interception for 127 yards. Um, those TD receptions were of, our TD passes were of three yards, three yards, and 48 yards. So if, if he's going to be the guy, hopefully he can find some more consistency in the next few weeks. You know, you also have to factor, factor in that several of the running backs didn't play. Steven Anderson was the, you know, main running back last night. 21 carries for 78 yards, uh, one t- touchdown. Travinsky Mosley, I think, got banged up a little early in the scrimmage. He was four for 16 yards. Then on the receiving side, Quez Watkins uh, led all receivers, seven receptions for 36 yards, two of those for touchdowns. And then Neil McLaurin had one 48-yard touchdown reception from Jack Abraham as well. On the defense, three interceptions from Wildell Flott, Kyle Hemby, and DQ Thomas. We had fumble recoveries from Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. Darius Yancey and then two passes broken up with Kyle Hemby and Ernest Gunn. So it really seems like, it seems like the offense has a ways to go. It seems like the defense may be the best we've had in the past few years, but the truth of that probably is somewhere in the middle of the both of those. So hard to tell, isn't it? It is.
2: I mean, before the, the live bullets start to fly, so to speak, um, but, uh, you know, those numbers from Jack are encouraging. Uh, 127 yards, three TDs, only one of the picks. Um, and it looks like maybe he's found a favorite target. And there's not, uh, I mean, look no further than, than, than Quez Watkins for that favorite target. <clears throat> Looking at 6'2, 190, redshirt sophomore, fast as he can be. So if you're going to have a, a, a guy that you're, that you might zone in on just a
0: little bit, he's, he's not a terrible one. <laughs> not, not at all. But the one, you know, Jack did struggle a little bit in the spring game. He struggled a little bit at the first scrimmage. You know, 13 for 29 is a little less than the efficiency that I think we were looking for. And maybe that'll come with time. And maybe some of these defense, the defenses we're going to be playing this year are not going to be as stout as the Southern Miss defense. And, you know, perhaps they won't, wouldn't have been, the defense wouldn't have had these players run against them every day for the past three, two or three weeks. Right. Right, right. So, right, right, right. you know, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Hopefully they can get it together. I guess if you had to form an opinion off of it, I'd say our defense, our offense is probably going to be better than this, but how much better it remains to be seen. Consistency at quarterback uh, hurt us last year. Um. So, yeah,
2: it's going to have to be more consistent than that. And let's not kid ourselves here. You got to have good quarterback play if you're going to win a lot of football games. I think, and we've talked about it on here before, I think that, you know, six is is the floor. And uh, you know, I, I think we're probably in that seven to eight range, um, possibly nine. And then anything over that, it's it's just gonna have to be like a miracle, uh, in my opinion. Not that it can't happen, but let's just face it: we're, we have an untested quarterback, um, a really good offensive line, untested secondary, and lost two of the best playmakers we had in the last decade last year in Edo and Corey. So, uh. Yeah, the consistency of quarterback is, is, is absolutely key. And, um, you know, after, well, really, after, after reading that article that Suss wrote uh, a few days ago about Jack, it, it, he seems like the kind of guy that has that ability to get out there and lead. So let's hope that, that, that Dawson, you know, finds a way to, to fit it in there and use all these this stable of running backs and the speed of wide receiver and and, you know, kind of see where the chips fall. At the end of the season, but like I said, make no mistake about it—we ha- you, you you have to have good quarterback play to have a good football team.
0: I think everybody's excited. Everybody just wants to see this team take the field, and and hopefully you've got a game against Jackson State where hopefully you can come out and uh, dominate and let the offense find their find their footing. You know the 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 next game, the game against ULM. Could be a little challenging. Uh, you know, they were they were game last year, although we, I think we won by a couple of touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. But you know, they're another year into their system, and I don't know if you saw this, but Brett Favre mentioned on Twitter that uh, Doug Peterson, his former backup and current head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, is going to be at that game. So they're going to meet up at that game at the ULM game. Huh? Get um, to see both of them out there. So that'll be That's cool. pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Hey, ULM, I mean, they, they're scary to me. I mean, and, and not, not that I'm not looking past Jackson State. You gotta win the first one. Go one and oh. Um, but when that day, when that game does come up, you know, that's, I know that's a game that they're looking forward to. Um, I've actually already talked to a few of their fans. I know are coming to the game, you know, hitting me up for where to go eat and all that kind of stuff and where do you tailgate and where do you park and everything like that. Um, but they're pumped and they return like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah, let's let's get this first one. Let's work some kinks out. Um, like you said, hopefully just dominate and um, see a bunch of guys play. And uh, and you know maybe this and this is also where that that new red shirt rule could come into play, right? Uh, right. You can go ahead and get some get their feet wet early, and maybe you don't play them again for a while. But if you do, you still got that four
0: game cushion. So that's 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 going to be immensely beneficial. And, you know, one thing I was thinking about earlier, man, just kind of going off subject here, Um, when I was doing the mascot thing back in the day, we talk about Jackson State, Wavy Dave and Seymour did not like each other at all, (laughs) did not like each other. And the guy that did Wavy Dave, he did it for like over a Wavy Dave? Yeah, yeah. Wavy Dave? Wavy, I don't know if they still have it. Yeah, what is their mask? Aren't they? I mean, it's a tiger, right? Yeah, it's a tiger. Yeah, Wavy okay. David was, and he rode on a unicycle. I think he, he, <laughs> he, he died of like a heart attack a few years back, but yeah, we did not like each other at all. But I've never had any, you know, I think when, when the last time we played Jackson State here, I think all the, all the Tigerettes or whatever came in, they used our little change room, but they were all sweet. So, but I never had a problem. But Wavy Dave and Seymour did not like each other at all. So, I don't think that bad blood still exists, you know, close it's a game to the game. within the game, later. there. Game within the game. But hopefully it'll be a good time. Um, the athletic department sent out an email this week or uh, press release with some of the other changes to the fan experience. A lot of this we have talked about on this show the past few weeks. A lot of it we're excited about. A lot of it has been needed to be done for a long while. But just to kind of reiterate some of these changes, as well as some things we did not know about until this came about, and some things I'm actually curious about. So it starts off talking about the new sound system. They're going to have a new state-of-the-art sound system ready to go in time for the 28 season opener. The new system should allow for increased volume to all areas of the stadium, especially where we sit in the end zone, Mm -hmm. as well as increased clarity from the video board, PA announcers, and referee mics. I mean, you just kind of had to wait for everybody's reaction before you knew <laughs> what the call was. That's, that's
2: that's very true, and um, you know, it seems like we should we we would have heard some of that. You know, we're really close to uh to the first game here. We're within two weeks, right? Um, I hadn't heard anything. I mean, as far as like stepping out my front door, we live so close to the stadium. You can hear them firing that thing up. So, in the next couple weeks, I look to start hearing some of that. And uh, I might sneak over there and see if we can't get a sneak peek on the uh, <clears throat> new clarity of the um, Jumbotron, too. Oh, absolutely. Inside that stadium looks so good, man. I, I know that a lot of people listening, uh, the first time that they see it will be probably that first day or maybe the Friday before. They're going to be stunned at how clean this thing <laughs> looks and just what a, what a, just a fantastic job that pressure washing did. It, it looks like a brand new stadium inside.
0: It really does, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing the, the that one. The one side uh, when we were there last week looked amazing. The other side, it was really tough. To, I mean, it was tough to, to, to tell, and it was kind of tough to see for the angle we were at. But once they get it painted and everything, I'm really curious to see how it's going to look. You talk about aesthetic enhancements that we're talking about now: pressure washing of the bleachers, replacement of faded banners on the east and west sides, um, and then the paint. They they painted the steps right uh, gold. So it's tight. It's gonna, it's gonna look a lot better than it did last year. Some other things, um, they mentioned Aramark, which handles the concessions. They're gonna have some new additions for 2018. Chick fil A will be served in stands on the east and west side of the stadium. So we're gonna have a little hike to get to our Chick fil A, but at least we can get to it. At least we can get to it. And there's really, yeah. to be fair, there's not really a place to put it over there. I mean, I wish we had more selections in the end zone, but it's just kind of tough with the logistics of everything over there, but, uh, yeah, so we we can walk over. They're gonna also going to have Polk's Meats mm-hmm. back serving the hot dogs and sausage dogs. I know that uh, you know they have some some Southern Miss alums that kind of handle that company, so that's pretty cool that they're they're back in the mix here. They're also going to have a new food truck on the West Concourse serving specialty items. I saw a few of them over there last huh. year, but um, I'm curious to see how that's going. And most of the time, to be honest. I really don't need much of concession stand because we've already been concessed up before we head in the stadium. <laughs> I agree. So, but I'm glad for the for the total fan experience. I think Chick fil A is a big deal because, gosh, there there may actually be a line. I mean, you look at that line that's on 98 every day. There may be a line around the stadium just for Chick fil A.
2: Yeah, they'll have somebody <laughs> running around the corner with a headset on, getting the <laughs> yeah, getting yeah, the orders ahead of time, bringing <laughs> the iPad around. It's awesome, man. Those are two huge gets. I mean, Polk's and Chick fil A. Um, just household names, everybody around here. So, yeah, anything that's going to put more butts in the seats and give somebody another reason to get their, you know, you know what, out to the rock on Saturdays. And hey, this is a Saturday, unlike the Atlanta Falcons,
0: so we can use our Chick-fil-A. Right. We don't change it. You know that when, when it's on a Sunday, the Falcons, they, they flip the board and it says the name of their little restaurant is called Fries Up. <laughs> <laughs> so we can have a prize up. Of course up. it is. Hey, ap- apologies to Edo Smith if uh, you're listening, Ito. I know you catch every single episode. Um, also, some more notes. Spirit Park will look a little different for the 2018 season. Junior Eagle Funland, which was located on Pride Field and in front of the Payne Center in 2017, will move to Spirit Park for 2018. That's the area in between the old, I guess, Scott Hall all the way over to Van Hall, um little grassy Knoll area there where they've had concerts and stuff the past few years. Um, they're going to have inflatable bounce houses for kids. Cost is $5 for unlimited play and free to see more sidekicks club members. In addition, Junior Eagle Funland will feature a themed area each game. The themed area will be a, offer a different unique edition each week. Certain games will include touch a truck display, carnival, military displays, race car displays, and more. So, um, I never really venture, venture past the rock on that particular side, but that's pretty cool for the fans that do. Um, that that was quite the hike heading over to Pride Field for Junior Eagle Funland for those that partaked in the festivities. So it, it's cool that they've got it a little bit closer there to the stadium. Now this is something we probably need to, I'm really curious about. Okay, so it says two things. Team run out will will see a reimagining for the 2018 season. The run out will feature more music. Video pyrotechnics and engagement with the crowd. So I know that's something that we've we've kind of recycled video clips. You know that that nightmare video that would come on. Uh, I guess in the fourth quarter we've been using that for probably ten years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm just excited to have something fresh out there on the video board.
2: These guys have apparently just um, done everything that we complained about. <laughs> Yeah. Um since last year, I know they got here and they were under the gun and didn't have any time to fix a lot of stuff last year, but uh they recognized that it needed to be fixing and they did it. So and you know, and they put just enough out there to get me curious. Uh a lot of people have asked me like, "Man, what are they going to do? What are they going to do?" because they they think that I mean like in the meeting or something. But uh I don't know. And but but it sounds exciting. And it sounds like something else is going to engage the fans. And didn't they also say something um, in that release
0: about uh, like the band and the students or something? Yes, that's 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 part two. The, oh, OK, the break between the third and fourth quarter will also look a little different. The student section and band will help lead the crowd lead the crowd in developing a new tradition to bring energy and excitement to the rock going into the fourth quarter. I'm intrigued.
2: Yeah, me too. Uh, and for everybody that thinks like this whole to the top thing's been around for a hundred years, uh-uh. wasn't even here when I st- when I started school. I don't think you know it was like uh, maybe what was it like around '99 or 2000? Maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's exactly when it was. They they tried so, to.
2: So yeah, that was kind of like towards the end of my college career. And I remember I didn't even know what they were doing. I was like, what are they saying? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now it's just second nature. Um, so it doesn't take long to create a tradition, and if this is a new one. Uh, that to the top one really stuck. So maybe this one will too. And I, I can't wait. I'm just, I'm just giddy. It's, it's that time of year. And, um, we got a good team and now we got some more stuff to look forward to. We get into the rock. It looks better. Um, and yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped. You know, one thing we have to do is you and I have to get all of our tailgate stuff out and check it. We do. This, this, this this should be, this is like a PSA for everybody. This is the time. Don't show up at tailgating and then say, oh, man, I forgot this tent's messed up, or we lost a chair, or we don't have enough cornhole bags, or whatever it is. Make sure this week that you get all those those ducks in a row, Um, and thank me later.
0: There you go. Yeah, no, yeah, I totally agree. I, I've already started thinking about. I want a new cooler that rolls easier, so I'm gonna try to see if I can invest in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Less than two weeks away. It just it just doesn't seem like it, but it does. So mm-hmm. that'll be terrific. Um, they also mentioned in the release, you know, the updated clear bag policy from last year. Uh, you may want to, you know, particularly the female fans. You may want to give that a once over to review what exactly that clear bag policy entails, what you can bring into the stadium. And if you have a golf cart, you may want to check out that updated golf cart policy as well. All right, so season tickets. And they kind of throw um, over to season tickets. And I quote, Fans can also continue to take advantage of the season ticket holder referral program. For each successful referral, the e- original season ticket holder will receive their choice of a $20 future credit on their ticket account, up to $200 or a $20 voucher for concessions in M.M. Robert Stadium up to $100. On the 10th successful referral, the fan will receive a personalized Southern Miss football jersey. On the 15th successful referral, the fan will receive an all-inclusive trip to a road game. To participate, fans should contact the ticket office at 1-800-844-TSCK or fill out the form they have attached on the website. So. That's a great opportunity if you're a big Southern Miss fan. You want to get a free jersey. You want to take a road trip with the team. You want to uh, just get some credits for your future ticket purchases. Mm -hmm. It's a great opportunity to do all that one time, and also you're helping fill up the stadium. Just kind of glancing at season tickets. They, They redid the structure of season tickets this year. So for the general public, this is not for faculty, staff, military, seniors citizens for the general public the lower level all the way around $220 season tickets for the year the upper level $110 season tickets for the year upper level, cha- upper, upper level chairbacks, which I believe is a certain section right there in the middle $220 for the year so is really simplified this year on what your prices would be to get season tickets all six Southern Miss games this year at home, it's gonna be a great time at The Rock.
2: Yep, fired up, man. The uh, I'm so glad they did that with the tickets. Um, it's so much easier now. I remember how it used to be, it was like the top corner was something, and then this row to that row was something, and uh, the end zone was something, but the end zone, you know, just on the west side was something else, and it was just too much. So, yeah, 110 up top, 220
0: down low, and that's it. It's awesome. And what a deal. Yeah, yeah. Also, a couple of uh, other things they've got here, a couple of other options as far as tickets go. Um, they've got a recent graduate season ticket package, lower level $270, which includes a $50 Eagle Club donation. So that'll get you into the Eagle Club. Upper level cost, $160, includes a $50 Eagle Club donation, also gets you into the Eagle Club. There's some family plan uh, ticket packages available. One adult, one youth ticket, lower level, $275. You'll have to have the Eagle Club membership for certain seating sections. And then upper level, $100 straight up. Um, then looking through, they've got flex plans. Eight vouchers for upper level, 150 bucks. Eight vouchers for lower, lower level seating, 310 bucks. You can use all, all eight at one time, or you can spread them out through the season. So some great opportunities, um, some different options in the past, some simplified options as far as purchasing season tickets. All right. We had an eventful e- weekend this past weekend as far as the National Football League goes. Week two of the preseason. Don't have all the stats and everything that went along with it. Caught a couple of games, saw a couple of Golden Eagles make highlight plays. The uh, First, Alan Zay Staggers was signed by the Washington Redskins. They brought him in for minicamp back in the spring. But now Alan Zay signed with the Redskins. Hopefully he can uh, impress them, maybe end up on the roster, maybe end on the practice squad, who knows. But Alan Zay staggers now with the Washington Redskins. Jalen Rashard had a highlight catch and run against the Rams. The NFL actually tweeted it out right after it happened. And Mike Thomas in that game also had a nice catch. Uh, Tarverius Moore. Doing what he does. Had a pass deflection, just dives in front of a guy, knocks the pass up, and then his teammate caught it and ran it back a little ways after the interception. So very cool. I caught, I think I tweeted that he had the, the assist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I saw that. Nick Mullins. Uh, the 49ers didn't bring him in until a little into the fourth quarter, but he took him down the field late in the fourth. They, they went ahead. with a a field goal and then kind of a fluke there at the end. The Texans threw up like a 44-yard touchdown pass to win the game with 30 seconds left in the game. So I think they waited too long to put Nick in. Uh, C.J. Beathard, the guy that's currently ahead of him on the depth chart, hasn't looked great in either game. Nick did throw an interception in his first pass in, in that game, but it was off the hands of the receiver. So the receiver should have caught it, bounced off his hands, it was intercepted. Counts as an interception anyways, but otherwise, Nick's um, QB rating might have been the highest of the night for the 49ers. All right. Well, I think that does it as far as all of our Southern Miss chat this week. Special thanks to our guest, Nick Suss. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Suss. You can follow us at To The Top Talk. You can follow me at Jamie underscore Arrington and Jason at Bumper J Bailey to the top talk now on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, check that out. Upcoming comedy shows this Sunday. If you watch baskets on FX this Sunday at the Thirsty Hippo, 7 p.m. Sunday, August the 26th, we have got Martha Kelly, Martha on baskets. It's going to be hilarious if you're not familiar with her. Look her up. Come out to the show. We strategic. We, uh, the only reason I booked it is because it was right before football season. So <laughs> come out and enjoy yourself. Have some laughs as we get ready for the ups and downs that will be each and every football season. Also, like I mentioned at the top of the show, big announcement coming. Middle of this week, huge comedy show coming to town, homecoming weekend. So be on the lookout for that. All right. I think we've covered it all. Jason, you have any final words for the Southern Miss fans? Uh, buckle
2: up. Uh, Get your popcorn ready, test out your tailgate gear,
0: and we will see you at The Rock. Look for To The Top Talk with Jamie Arrington and Jason Bailey on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review and whatnot. If you like the show, tell your friends. If you don't like the show, tell your friends. And as always, Southern Miss to the top.